Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So for us to get an understanding of this study of this burning bush moment, the burning bush moment happens in the book of Exodus in chapter 3. And so for me to give you the accuracy of the detail of whom's writing this book, you have to start in chapter 1. And you have to understand the context in which Moses, this main character of this book, is born. He is born in crisis-driven, challenging moments. He's born in the midst of a people and a part of a culture that has never in 400 years, four generations, there's not an Israelite alive that had ever breathed one breath of freedom. They were slaves that produced slaves that produced slaves, 400 years of bondage. And he is born right in the midst of this chaos. It is so chaotic that the Pharaoh, when he, any time that you're motivated by fear, you always make poor decisions. Pharaoh was motivated by fear by an advisor that said that the population of the slaves outnumbers the population of the Egyptian army. And if they ever decide to be free, you don't have enough weapons to defeat them. Isn't that ironic how the enemy can use intimidation to keep us bound? Because if we ever realize whom we really belong to, that there's not a weapon that he has. Remember that scripture that said, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It is in those moments of understanding who we really are that brings that truth to the surface. In the midst of that, so his advisor said, you need to do crowd control, population control. So he passed a law that every male child born under the age of two would be executed. Does anybody know how they executed the babies? The river, the Nile River. They would take the newborns and they would throw them in the river. Remember that for a moment because here in the midst of this chaos, in a time where children were dying, that's when God's sovereignty decides. That's when this Moses is to be born. See, he wasn't born in a safe place. He wasn't born in a comfortable place and brought to the crisis. He was born right in the midst of the crisis. And some of us prayed today for God to to heal some of the things we've been going through. And as pastor so accurately said, some of you, it's many words over decades. And in the midst of that, you realize God can create something that brings freedom to you and then anoint you to bring freedom to others. Can somebody say amen? So he's born right in the midst of this crisis-driven time. And he is a beautiful baby, Scripture says. And has anybody had a baby recently? Will you just shout amen? I'm not a, I can't see without my glasses. Anybody had a baby within the last three months? Say amen. Amen. I have one. Here's some revelation. It's a prophetic word for you. Is when you brought that baby home and they did something like, ee, you called that crying. That is not crying. By the time they get three to four months, their lungs will develop and they perfect that art and they start to really cry. Can any mother say amen to that? 
That's exactly what happens in Scripture. For the first three months, the squeaking of the baby is undetectable. And they're able to hide the fact that Moses has been born in their own home. But now he's three months old, Scripture says. And in three months, he has developed the perfection of the art of crying. And now they can't creep his cries silent any longer. And now they have to take extreme measures. We know Moses' mother weaves this basket and does stuff on the inside. We call that pitch and it's where it doesn't leak and it floats and she places the baby in the very river that the executions take place and all of a sudden the baby the his sister is watching from the bank and the baby's kind of pushed over into the reeds and the current of the river starts to move the basket and to his sister's amazement she is probably terrified as she sees this basket break loose from the reeds and start traveling down the river now his chances of survival have dropped drop dramatically it's almost non-existent that this baby is going to be able to survive this trip there's crocodiles in this river if the basket overturns the baby's too young to swim all of these things are happening and it looks like the very end of a story before it ever begins but isn't it amazing how God can use the current of the very thing that the enemy tried to use to destroy you to take you to your destiny because on the other um, around the bend of the river At the very same time that the basket breaks loose from the reeds, this woman is taking off the remaining of her clothing to walk into the very same river to bathe. The daughter of Pharaoh, here comes the basket. She looks at a servant and said, what is that? She goes over and says, it's one of the Hebrews. The Bible says she fell in love with him just like that. And he becomes the prince of Egypt. He's now no longer in jeopardy of of execution. Now he becomes a, 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 a member of the household of the palace. He has everything that he could possibly want or desire. He is trained in the best education. He has the best of everything. He has the comforts of the palace. He has the food of the table of the king. Everything that he could desire. He is strong. He is handsome. He's educated. He's a man's man. And he surely thinks in these 40 years he hears the stories of the Hebrews as he would walk through the slave quarters he would hear the rumblings of the old prophets that they had held on to for freedom the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob he heard that there would be a redeemer that would rise from the midst of the slaves that would be used by the hand of God to bring freedom to his people he must have thought this it must be me I've lived in the palace for 40 years and I am ready for the call that's upon my life kind of like that young man at camp meeting I was ready for the call thought it was right now and I needed some more training and all of a sudden do you know that the book of Acts talks about this 40 year old man in the book of Acts chapter 7 it says this about him It says, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Look at your neighbor and say, mighty in words and deeds. He thought he would be noticed. 
He thought that that was the moment God had created to use him to be a redeeming purpose on the on planet earth. He thought that that was where God was raising him up. And you know that by the time you meet him, he is now, he's gone from being born in chapter one and early chapter two. He's 40 at the end of chapter two. By the time you meet him in chapter three, he's 80. This 40-year-old man takes a walk In premature destiny, he takes a walk, looks into the slave quarters, sees an Egyptian beating to death a Hebrew. He intervenes, and in the intervention, he takes it one step too far, and he kills the Egyptian. Now he's a fugitive, 40 years old. He's running into the wilderness. You ever thought that you had it bad and then you went from bad to worse? You went from the, fire, from the frying pan to the fire? That's him. He goes all the way to the other side of the desert to a place called Midian, which means strife. And you know what? That's exactly what he finds. He gets to this place called Midian and there's these ladies trying to water their father's flock. And now again, he has to make a choice. I can't do very much because if I do something, I might, they might find out who I am. There's a bounty on my head. The most powerful man on earth with the most powerful army is looking to execute me again. He tried to kill me when I was born. He tried to kill me now. He's looking for me when I'm 40 and I've got to stay in the shadows. No, sometimes the right thing to do is always the right thing. Thing to do. Somebody say amen. amen. So he gets in, he, these girls are being bullied. He, he intervenes, he beats up the bully, and all of a sudden, out of that beating up of the bully, one of the ladies takes notice of him and becomes his wife. And now he's working for the family business. He doesn't even own the sheep that he's walking with. So all of that was just introduction to a getting us to this burning bush. He's now 80 years old. He's traveling around a mountain called Horeb. It will later become known as the mountain of God. He's doing what he's done for 40 straight years. And in the midst of this wilderness, in the midst of the mundane, repetitive, walking on a mountain, following a few sheep, it broke him. By the time he gets to the bush, he stutters. Remember Acts 7 says the 40-year-old man was strong in words and deeds. Now he's broken by his circumstances. He thinks that the prophecy that he once thought was about him is so far gone that it isn't even possible anymore. And all he's doing is walking, following a few sheep, not really understanding that you are never, this is a truth that you need to remember or write down. I don't care how far you have gone from what you thought God created your purpose to be. I don't care how hurt you are, how bruised you are, or how far on the backside of a desert when you don't even think people know your name. I am telling you, you are one God encounter away from getting all of that realigned. Can somebody say amen? You say, okay, pastor, get us to this burning bush. Here we go. Now Moses was keeping his flock of his father, in law Jethro and the priest of Midian, 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And they came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Lesson number one that we make on this is that the guy telling you about this is writing it himself and he's leading you to believe in that passage of scripture that he was walking down a familiar fat path he had walked down 40 years and God did not put the burning bush on that path he put it close enough that he could see it and he leads us to believe through his writings that he had every opportunity to walk by it how many of us have walked by our miracle how many of us have walked by our moment? How many of us have walked by a divine appointment with God? No, he didn't get angry, but we suffered from not going. And the first thing that you have to understand is that if you want God to encounter you, to change the circumstances of your life, be willing to get off the familiar path of doing what you've always done and receiving the things that you've always received. When God gives you an invitation, the invitation was not the fire. The fire was something he had seen a thousand times before, a bush burning into flame, bursting into flames. It's common in that region. What was uncommon was that the fire did not consume what... It was that was burning and all of a sudden he sees it and says that's unusual and that he's hearing an invitation from God come over here where I am and he decides it said and when he decided to take a step off the familiar path onto a new beginning all of a sudden God spoke to him by name twice and said Moses Moses he didn't speak to him when he saw it he didn't say Moses come over here he didn't say Moses I got a moment for you no the moment that he was willing to do something by faith and step out on something he had never done before God knew him by name he thought he was on the backside of a desert where nobody knew his name and that was on purpose because he was an 80 year old fugitive from the law and here God is inviting him to a moment that will change everything and the moment that he decides to take an, a step one step God says Moses Moses wonder what would happen if you took a step today wonder if you would hear the voice of God say your name. See, some things we think change in worship services, and sometimes they do. But most of the time, that's the beginning of your freedom. And that's why I'm going to do a little commercial plug for what Pastor Brenda and Pastor Matt said. If you get free today, go to Cleansing Stream and learn how to stay free. Amen. That's free. He takes a step. God calls him by name. I thought you forgot me. I thought you were way up there and I was way down here. I, I thought that you had abandoned the purposes that you created me for. See, the second thing you have to understand, the first thing, make a move. Get out of the normal. Be willing to take a step of faith and follow the invitation that God sets before you. Secondly, understand when you take the first step, God could qualify. Do you know that God wrapped a supernatural fire around a natural bush? There wasn't super, nothing supernatural. We don't have any doctrine about the bush. You know, you know that we have a habit as people is that we see God do something and we make doctrine around the things that he does things with instead of how he set somebody. We got whole denominations built upon process. 
If it was New Testament, it'd be church of the spit in the eye, the church of the spit on the ground, put mud in the eye, church of go, go wash at the well eye, because that's how many times God, he, Jesus healed blind people different ways. It wasn't the fact of how he did it. It was the end result that the once they were blind, but now they see, amen. So God can qualify when he can, he has done this over and over throughout scripture, wraps his supernatural nature around something natural. There was nothing supernatural about the box lunch that the kid brought. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 men? It was just really regular natural bread in and fish in a little sack that his mom made for him. But when God wraps his supernatural hand around something natural, it can feed 5,000 people. He does it again when a natural storm hits the Sea of Galilee, a natural lake, and creates natural waves. But when you take the sovereignty of God in a natural storm, he makes steps out of the waves to walk to a disciples, a group of disciples out in the middle of the storm just so they could know that he is master over everything even the winds and the waves he wraps and if we believe those two things believe this he will wrap his supernatural nature around a common frailty of your humanity and allow you to become the spokesperson of God amen forget you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit the end of that scripture says now glorify God in your body he will take your natural frailty of your humanity none of us are perfect nor will you ever be until you get glorified but he'll take your imperfections wrap his perfection around it and testify of the truth of the gospel amen so we're number one we're making a move number two we're you know half the conversation i love god's sense of humor i tell stories all the time i love his sense of humor do you know half the conversation with god is the prideful nature of a man that was so broken he couldn't understand who he really was and so he's arguing with a supernatural god that caused a fire not to consume a bush and arguing that he's picked the wrong guy how many times have we said, God, you can't use somebody like me? So God has a sense of humor. He said, hey, man, stick your hand in your coat. Pull it out. Oh, I got leprosy. Ah! Stick it back in. Oh, it's healed. I love, God didn't stop there. He said, what do you got in your hand? He said, a stick? He said, throw it down on the ground. He throws it down on the ground. It becomes a serpent. I love how God says, hey, don't pick up the stick, pick up the snake. And the moment that he reaches down and picks up the snake, it turns back into the stick again. See, God knew that if he didn't have the courage to pick up a snake, he was never going to have the courage to look the man that was trying to kill him in the eye and say, I've come on behalf of the Lord to say, let my people go. He took that same stick and held it over a sea that looked like hopelessness that bound them to the invading Egyptian army that was trying to kill him. But he knew the God after the burning bush. He knew a God that can make a stick a snake. And when God says hold that stick over the red sea he holds it up and the wind of God the breath of God starts to breathe and divides the water some the, some historians not theologians some historians say that was dry ground that they walked on most historians say no the tide was out and it was ankle deep water I'll preach it both ways first of all I believe God can do something supernatural to make things that were wet dry secondly let's go with the fact that it was ankle deep water they just waded through ankle 
ankle-deep water, and then God drowned the most powerful army in the world in ankle-deep water. All the chariots, all the horses, and all the men. And God, for the first time, allows them on the other side of a river, the other side of the Red Sea, with a man holding the stick that he had at the burning bush. And that is the first time they had ever breathed in air without a pursuer. God can qualify, man. He doesn't call pastors from seminaries. He sends, he, he sends frail men to seminaries to get the training. He doesn't, he, you know where he found me? On the beach of Panama City, strung out on drugs, getting high and drunk every day. I had a prodigal son moment on the beaches of Panama City. If you would have met me at 19, you would have thought there is no way in the world he would ever be saved, more or less, a pastor. But that's just who God uses, broken, frail men and women that will get in his presence and allow his presence to transform and allow them to be his spokesperson. That's what's going on at the burning bush. Two thirds of his life was over and now he's hearing the voice of God. God can qualify. The third thing you have to learn is take, I'm preaching this part to Christians. The first part was like encouragement for all of you that either just got saved and you still mess up. You'll continue to mess up. That's why he was perfect. Amen. But for you that are already saved, we have the hardest problem with this. Take off your stinking shoes, man. He says, hey, wait a minute. Oh, I see you're willing, but you forget who you're talking to. Humble yourself. You're talking to the sovereign God. Humble yourself and reverence the moment. You're on holy ground now. Take off your shoes. We want God to always meet us where we are. We pray for him to come to where we are. Do you realize that John on the Isle of Patmos at 92 years old had seen the miracles of Jesus with his own eyes, been responsible for the mother of Jesus's care, started churches like Ephesus. He's nine, he wouldn't even die. They tried to execute him in boiling oil. He just decided he wasn't going to die today. They sent him to a, a, a prison colony called Patmos in the middle of the Aegean Sea at 92 years old. When the guy's rowing the boat, he's saying, man, this must be it. This is where it all happened. Do you know on that island, on the Lord's Day, in the spirit, on the Lord's Day, he gets an opportunity. He says, John, your mission is not over. You're going to hand deliver seven letters to seven churches but the invitation wasn't, oh God, come to Patmos. It was, John, come up here where I am. Come to a moment where you're not in the circumstances to where you get to sit in my, in my presence, in the sovereignty of my glory, and there you can be transformed. And a 92-year-old man writes seven letters to seven churches. That's good preaching right there. Take your shoes off. Are you willing to take off what's comfortable? Well, he's got to do it in the three songs at the beginning of service. He may. But are you willing to take that off to where he may do it at the end of the service? He may do it in your car. He may do it at your home. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the familiar because it's safe. And God says, will you trust me to take off your shoes and let me do it in a way that, I've never see, that you've never seen done before? Are you willing to humble yourself and realize we're so casual with the things of God now? Do you know that the Hebrew culture won't even say the name of God out loud? 
And we are so passionate about. I heard from the Lord today. I, got, I get like six words a week. And hey, man, I appreciate the people giving them to me. And sometimes they're right on, but sometimes they're prophesying or giving me a word of how they feel. Wouldn't it be wonderful for the people of God to reverence when God says something that we become so keen to the ears that when somebody stands up and says, I have heard from the Lord in his presence and I am here to declare that word over you, that we stop and shudder at the, at the point that we didn't come to church today to hang out with each other, but we came knowing he is faithful to his word, where we gather together in his name, where we lift up the name that is above every other name. We build a throne upon. You didn't come here to see a, a country boy from Northwest Florida preach. I've come to tell you about a God that is in this house that is here and, he, and you are sitting in his presence and that should bring all of us to an awe and a wonder that there is nothing impossible that can happen in this room right now. Amen. Take your shoes off. As pastor gets ready to come play something, at least I think he is. If not, the worship team can come. Nonetheless, we'll do whatever they choose. This is how God speaks to him in the burning bush. He says this. Then the Lord said, Exodus 3, verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. He's got his shoes off now. He realizes God's qualifying him. He's in a moment of holy response. God's already called him by name. He's probably kneeling down looking at the bush. And he says, Moses, I've heard the cry of the afflicted, the oppressed. And I'm ready to respond. Are you going to participate? See, so many times we want God to do it all. And he's waiting to qualify you to participate. Well, I see this in the world. What's God going to do through you to change it? Pastor Tom and Brenda started a ministry 20, uh, well, 36 years ago now, 37. On the foundational scripture of Isaiah 61, bind up the broken. It's a chapter of covenant exchange, beauty for ashes. Oh man, there's just, nobody can teach it like that guy back there. Oh man. We do things called outreaches. There's a community that's within the shadow of our church that it is more likely for a young man in that community to go to prison than to college. But the church arose and said, oh, I heard your voice, God. You said I've heard the cry of the afflicted and the oppressed. We're here to participate. 
And we started going to that community, just expressing the love of God, not to make converts, but to make family. And now our church looks like Revelations chapter 5 of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. But this year we stood at the end of May and gave two scholarships to young people saying, no, we heard the statistic that said you're likely to be in prison and in jail more than college. But we stand on the word of God that was just looking for a participant that said, hey, we're willing to believe anything that you say, God. And we're here to now exercise that faith and declare that these two young women are now going to college, not to jail. Somebody say amen. He says, man, I hear the cry. What are you going to do about it? Will you participate? And that's when Moses responds and says, okay, God, I'm broken. The wilderness has hurt me. It's bruised me. It's wounded me. I don't even talk good anymore. I've come to preach the next three minutes for everybody wounded, broken, going through the time of their life. The chaos and the hell that's associated with the battle. Don't sweat the desert. God did not cause what you're going through, but he's sovereign enough and God enough to use what you're going through to perfect you for his purpose. See, Moses thought that he was being perfected when he was sitting in a classroom in the palace learning the greatness of education. But God said, no, Moses, you can't lead yet because you have head knowledge. I'm going to send you into a desert. It's not going to, you intervened prematurely and your fear drove you to the desert. I didn't cause it, but I'm God enough to use it. See, I showed you every watering hole that water exists while you're following a few sheep that didn't even belong to you. You didn't even know this would be the mountain of God. You just thought it was a mountain that you walk sheep on. And I have perfected you in the crisis, in the moments of pain. It is in those moments that you have arrived and now you have a grit that is supernatural so that when you look at the, at the circumstances of an army invading, you'll remember a God that spoke to you on the backside of a desert when you knew nobody else knew your name. You will take that stick and stretch it over a sea because I command you because I was willing to talk to you out of a bush. It was not in the palace that God did the greatest thing for Moses. It was in the desert. You say, what did he do? It was in the desert around this bush when Moses, probably kneeling, looked and said, Whom shall I say sent me? I'm about to go back to my Pentecostal roots, Pastor. He said, Moses, I've shown you thus far who I am. Now I'm going to tell you who you belong to. No matter what you face after you leave this bush, you have the authority to use my name. The I am that I am sent you. 
So when you look at the, in the eyes of Pharaoh, you tell him the I am that I am sent you to let my people go. That when he f- threatens you and intimidates you, that I'll just kill you where you stand. You say that you'll have to cross the path to get to me of whose I belong. The I am that I am has sent me. How do we get a million people out of slavery? I don't have the plan. The I am that I am said, follow the cloud by day and follow the fire by night. When we get thirsty and we think we're going to die of thirst, the I am that I am will command me to speak to a rock and water will flow out of the rock. I will wake up in the morning and look up to the heavens and say there's not enough substance to feed this crowd and I will say that the I am that I am will be my provision and watch manna fall from heaven my dear you sang it I wonder if they believe it it's more than words on a screen when you know whose you are when you know that you're in his presence right now we sung earlier There's power in that name, power to heal, set free, deliver, break chains, power to redirect lives. Do you know how many people, uh, there's about 40% of my congregation that has gone through some form of recovery. Do you know that there's one young man that tested positive for everything on the strip and detox? He is now an elder of my church. He is the father of four and he is a director of the hospital and which once he had to go to the emergency room to, because he overdosed if God can do that at a burning bush moment for him wonder what he could do for you wonder what power is in his name for you thank you for joining us for the new hope sermon of the week for more information about this podcast or other resources visit newhopeonline.com